John 12, verse 12 through 16. The next day, the large group that came to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Amen. Thank you so much, girls. Wonderful. <laughs> you think you'll join your parents? <laughs> Awesome. Well, how many of you love to travel? Any of the travel people in the house? You love to travel? Any homebodies? The homebodies, they like to stay close to home, stay close to what is familiar. And, uh, you know, thanks so much to all the kids, I was going to say, uh, who did a great job leading worship. I never felt so much uh, welcome to church this morning. How many of you know when the pastors welcome to church? It's amazing. All the kids in the lobby uh, and leading us in, in, the verse, in the scripture today. Uh, for those of you joining us online, we're so glad uh, that you're joining us. And I pray that God would do something good in your life today uh, as well. Uh, so let me see again. Where's all the travelers? You love to travel? Any homebodies, you just like to stay close to home? Uh, I love traveling, seeing new places, uh, discovering new things. Uh, travel is so great, and I'm looking forward to doing more of it real soon. How many of you are looking forward to doing some traveling? Well, I don't know. There's, you know, when you travel, the introverts, they may not realize this, uh, but introverts and extroverts, they travel differently. If you've traveled with an introvert or an extrovert, you know that extroverts like to travel differently. They like to meet people. And the extroverts, you like to meet people on your travels, right? When you're traveling, uh, there's a little game that we play, and it's about making the connection. Uh, it's, about, uh, it's about, you know, meeting the new people and finding out what you have in common. And I, I remember the last time that my family and I were able to be in California. Uh, we were at an amusement park standing in line, and we heard the people in front of us talking, and I wasn't really paying much attention to them uh, until I heard the people say, oh, we're from Canada. And then the lady they were talking to said, oh, I love Canadians. Canadians are so chill. Well, how many know I had to interject and say, well, we're Canadian too. We're really chill people. And we got to make that connection. And then you do what you always do, right? You start trying to narrow it down. You're from Canada. Whereabouts? At this time, we were from Ontario. But if you're from Ontario, you, you either say you live near Ottawa or you live near Toronto. So we said, I'm from Toronto. And then that's not really true. I live an hour from Toronto. But then we narrow it down, right? Oh, Toronto. And then we kind of narrow it. I'm from Burlington and all of this kind of thing. You know what I've discovered about here since we moved to BC that you guys do things a little differently uh, here in BC than I'm used to. Uh, you guys talk regionally. Graphically, you guys have so many cool places in your province to be from that, you know, if you meet someone, you say, I'm from BC, then you will say, well, I'm from the coast, I'm from the lower mainland, I'm from the interior, I'm from, you know, so many cool places to be from. Ontario is not as cool. We, so we have to say what city we live near, but no one here does that. But and so we talked to these people and we found out that they're from Calgary, uh, which trying to make the connection. I said, well, my wife is from Calgary, and that's how the connection goes, 
right? Uh, you're trying to make this connection. You're trying to find this common bond. You know, someone says, oh, you know, I, I, I'm from Penticton. And you say, oh, I've been there before. Or you might say, oh, I had an uncle who lived there once. You know, or, or if you've never been, you kind of say something like, oh, I heard it's nice there, right? Or is that the place with a giant peach on the beach, right? You're trying to make the connection. Uh, you know what? gets a little cringy, and I, I know we're all, we all, we all know it's cringy, but we, we're always tempted to go there, right? As soon as you meet someone, and it, it's the question is, oh, you're from there. Do you know so-and-so, right? <laughs> right? How do you ever been in the States, and they, oh, you're from Canada. Do you know Phil? You know, like, oh, right? No. Well, you know, I've traveled, I've been on a cruise ship in the middle of the Caribbean, and I met two families who lived streets away from us. But the closest connection I ever met uh, was we were in Florida uh, at a hotel, and the people with the door right next door to us had kids who were in our kids' classes. That's a pretty close connection to go all the way to Florida uh, and meet people there. It's all about making the connection, finding out the connection you have in common. If you're into social media, uh, you'll know that your uh, app will suggest people that you might know based on the people that you have in common. So much of our lives is lived living and looking for connection. Who or what are you connected to? Well, we're in week five of our sermon series called I Am, and we've been looking at the I Am statements that Jesus used uh, to give us a metaphor or an allegory to better understand who Jesus is, to better understand the fullness of God. Jesus uses these word pictures to, to help us understand who God is so that we can relate to God better, to relate to him more fully, because how we relate to God influences what we receive and how we receive from God. And so Jesus came to be uh, the demonstration of God to us. And so we've been talking about this idea that only in knowing who Jesus is can I know who I am. And so we've been looking at these statements. And so if you want to turn to John chapter 15, we're going to look at John chapter 15 today, uh, this next I am statement that Jesus says leads to overflowing joy. How many want to leave church with some overflowing joy this morning? How many want to go to work tomorrow with overflowing joy? Any kids, you want to go to school tomorrow with overflowing joy? Who wants to go to their doctor's appointment or your therapy appointment tomorrow? Who wants to go to the dentist with overflowing joy? Jesus says in this passage that we will have overflowing joy. So let's talk about how we get there this morning. Well, the context, as we're celebrating Palm Sunday today, and we know at the end of this week we're going to have Good Friday, and this story we're reading about happens in the middle of this week. And uh, it's, we've talked about the triumphal entry of Jesus and the crowds have waved their palm branches. Jesus has already celebrated the Lord's Supper at this point, And now he's talking with his disciples. It's moments before his arrest. Short hours from now, Jesus will be uh, arrested and begin that process of going to the cross. And, and so in this passage, uh, we, we see that Jesus has finished the, the, uh, the Lord's Supper meal and he's talking with his disciples and uh, the conversation around the table uh, hasn't gone, it's not been very cheery actually. Uh, and in fact, it's kind of been uh, a little bit troubling. Jesus has already told his disciples that one of their crew, one of their uh, followers, uh, one of the ones sharing their chips and dip is about to betray him. 
And so they're kind of wondering, who, who is it? it? It got really awkward in this exchange between Peter and Jesus when uh, Peter said, Lord, I will never deny you. It won't be me. To which Jesus turned to him and said, Peter, deny me uh, or defend me. He, he said, uh, die for me. He, he said, in moments, you'll deny even knowing me. Well, to top it all off, Jesus uh, tells his disciples, the ones who had given up everything to follow him, the ones who had abandoned their old lives to be with him, uh, he drops this bomb on them. Uh, he tells them, I am going away to a place to which you cannot come. This was not the plan that the disciples had envisioned. This wasn't the plan that they had signed up for. So this is the tone or the context of this conversation and Jesus calms them down a little bit and he tells them, don't let your heart be troubled but trust in me, find your peace in me. How many know that peace isn't found in the external security of everything going according to plan? Peace is actually found in the inward serenity of trusting the great I am. And this is what Jesus is telling them to hold on to. And so I want to highlight in this moment the urgency with what Jesus is speaking. These are the last moments to prepare his disciples for what's to come. And so he's speaking to them with urgency. And he's placing value and weight on everything that he has to say. In John 14, 30, it says, I don't have much time left to talk to you. And so this is the context of our passage today. These are the final reminders the parting encouragement that Jesus wants to give to his disciples that is going to get them through some difficult days, some, te- some times that he knows uh, are lie ahead. So John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Jesus said, I am the vine. How you know here in Penticton, we are blessed with this illustration every single day, that we can drive and see the illustration Jesus is talking about on the side of the road here in, in this uh, vine country. Well, but the vine is the thing that sends life to the branches. The, the vine is the source And Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm leaving you to do this work in partnership with the Holy Spirit, but you can rest assured that I am the vine. I am the source. I am the source of life. I am the source of your strength. I am the source of your security. I am the source of your identity. I am the source of your purpose. He says, I am the vine that's going to keep you growing and flourishing even in difficult days. How do we know that your success is only as sustainable as your source? When I was a young teenager, I was invited to help someone do some roofing on their roof. And the first time we were up on the roof and we were going to replace the shingling. And, and, uh, and thankfully, any kids ever been on the roof of your house? Don't go on the roof of your house unless your parents tell you to go up there. It's not a safe place. So I wanted to be safe. And so my, my boss, he told me that I should tie a rope around my waist and, and have this rope for safety. In case I fell off, the rope uh, would save me. 
And so I got up there and I tied the rope around my waist and I was running all over the roof because I was a little younger and nimbler at that time and moving shingles and doing all kinds of stuff on the roof of this house with my safety secure in my mind because I had been tied off to the rope. Until my boss went down to the driveway and there's a rope hanging off the roof. And he said, what's this rope? And he gave it a tug like this. I said, hey, that's my rope. And I had tied it off to one end, but I hadn't tied it off to the other end. So this rope was not going to save me whatsoever. Your success and safety is only sustainable as its source. So Jesus specifically adds to this statement, this word, I am the true vine. We wouldn't need to say true unless there were other vines available, unless there were other sources to draw on as a source of life or strength or purpose, identity. And so Jesus' audience, uh, they were Jewish. And in their upbringing, they would have clearly understood what Jesus was getting at. Uh, You know, many times throughout the Old Testament and Israel's history, uh, Israel had been referred to as the vine of God. They were the vine of God. Of God, and, and so they were the source of God's life to the world. In the Old Testament, we see that uh, Israel were the worshipers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in contrast to the gods of Egypt or Greek or Rome or Greece or Rome. Uh, and so, to be a follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was to uh, to get connected with the people who worship that God. And so to do so, you would take on their uh, rituals and responsibilities and you would assume their custom and assume the connection to the people of God, this vine. And, and so that was how you connected and converted to be a worshiper of God. But, but listen to what God said about this vine centuries before Jesus was even on the earth. In Jeremiah 2.21, God speaks of Israel's relationship as his vine in the world. This is what he says. I was the one who planted you, choosing a vine of the purest stock, the very best. How did you grow into this corrupt, wild vine? In this passage, God in the Old Testament is already saying, you're already failing at bringing the sustaining source of life to this world that I intended you for. And so we see in the New Testament then rather being connected to a people nationally, God is connecting us to a person relationally and individually. Jesus said, I am the true vine. Don't settle for any other connection, any other source of supply. You know, there are counterfeit vines that promise life, don't they? When you have a counterfeit vine, it, it may do what it says. I didn't ever bought anything on, like, online, and you got it because it was cheap, and you knew it was the knockoff version. And how many know that it worked for a little while, but then it broke, and it wasn't up to the value, and it wasn't up to the, to the real thing? Jesus said there are counterfeit things in life that will promise to provide life and fulfillment and purpose, and they may do that for a time, but they are not the true vine. Popularity and friendship might give you a source of identity, but they're not going to last forever. Wealth and financial security is fleeting. Fame comes and goes. Status, whether it's in your relationship, your marriage, your dating life, you can't find identity and purpose in these things. How many know that even your church or even your pastor can't be the vine that connects you to God? I'm not the vine. 
I am just connected to God hanging out on the branch like you. A little fruit and the little nuts hanging out on the branch together. I don't know. I'm the true vine, Jesus says. How can you know what your source is? How do you know what it is that you're connected to? Ask yourself this question. What voices speak most in my life? What are the voices that I base my decisions on? What voices are the ones that I base my beliefs on? What voices am I choosing to act on? That will tell you what the source is. And if you're not going to the word of God and to the things of God to formulate your beliefs and your decisions, then you might have a counterfeit vine feeding your life. Ask yourself this, where do my thoughts go? You know, when things go wrong or when things go right, what are the, you know, thank, thankfully I had this in my life. What is that thing? You know, if only I had more of this. What is that thing? That would show you what the source is that you uh, acknowledge in your life. Jesus says, I am the vine. But then he talks about three branches. All the kids, you remember Pastor Lisa had three announcements. Well, there's three branches in my sermon today. The first one is the connected vine. The connected vine. In verse four, it says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. How many know that a health of the plant isn't always determined by its outward appearance? Anyone doing any gardening, you know? Right about now you're getting your gardens ready, but how many know all winter it looked as though things were dead in your garden? It looked as though nothing was happening. Here in Canada, we're especially familiar with the seasonality of vegetation and, and fruitfulness. Uh, there are seasons where fruitfulness is readily apparent. You see the fruit bursting out all over the place. There are other seasons where all you just see is leafy green. And then there are other seasons where it just looks dead and like nothing's happening. There are seasons in our lives that can feel dormant or even a little barren at times, as though nothing's happening and as though fruitfulness is far away. I know there's even seasons where it feels as though God seems distant. Jesus is preparing his disciples to say, you're going to about to go through a barren season, but I want you to know this. It's not the time to disconnect. You know, this word is repeated all through. Uh, anytime the, the words are repeated in a text, you got to pay attention. As we look at this text, we, we see here that Jesus is using his last moments to encourage his disciples with this theme. And this theme is to remain. I mean, would you say that with me? Would you say remain? remain. All the kids, let me hear you say remain. remain. All the adults, let me hear you say remain. remain. All the fruit and nuts, let me hear you say remain. remain. <laughs> I don't know. That just popped into my head. I told you, I'm not the vine. Jesus is the vine. Be connected to the vine. <laughs> Be remaining in him four times in five verses. Jesus says we need to remain. Uh, Eleven times in this whole chapter, he says, remain in me. The Greek word here is meno. And meno really means to stay or to live. Maybe your version of the Bible says abide in me. The word is remain in Jesus. In the dormant seasons, it can be tempting to disconnect. But Jesus is saying, you need to remain. 
Uh, in the mundane, in the dormant season, it can seem like nothing is happening. Uh, it can seem like nothing is going to flourish in your life. But how many know in those dormant seasons, in those mundane seasons, it's where we develop faith in God the most. We don't always develop faith in the fruitful seasons. We develop faith in the dormant seasons of life. How many know that we develop the discipline to remain in God in the dormant season? We, remember, we develop character that God envisions for us in the dormant season. It's about development. Jesus says here in verse 2, My father's the gardener, and he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they produce even more. The reward of faithfulness and fruitfulness is pruning. How do we know that we think of pruning as punishment? Pruning is a funny thing. To the inexperienced gardener, it would appear that cutting back the plant would be to kill it, wouldn't it? But in their expertise, the gardener prunes back, and the opposite is true, that it grows healthier and fuller and more fruitful than ever. I used to work on a Christmas tree farm, and so for three months of the year, all I did was prune Christmas trees. Every day, all day, for five, six days a week. And I really had two jobs as a pruner. The one is at the top. Have you ever seen the, a pencil-shaped Christmas tree? There can only be one leader, right? You gotta put your star or your angel or whatever on that. You have, but how many, there's other branches that are all trying to take the place of the leader. They're trying to grow around and trying to become that tall, overarching point of the tree. And so my job was to pick the best one and to cut back all the others that were vying to be the leader. And then my second task was to bring the tree into shape, to fill out any holes and to produce a well-roundedness to this tree. It reminds me that, that Jesus' purpose of our life is to cut out any other leaders that would be vying for that position and to bring fullness and shape to our life. The shape is really the shape of Jesus, to be representative of the image of Jesus to this world. Pruning has a purpose. It's to take away anything that will detract from the health and fruitfulness and shape, fullness of this tree. I know we've all been through seasons of pruning, haven't we? Seasons when God has been cutting away the attitudes of our lives, confronting us in our attitudes. Maybe you've been cutting away at the habits uh, we've been challenged by our habits and, and the things that we do. Or maybe God's been calling the dependencies in our lives. And we go through seasons of pruning. The word prune, here's another Greek word for you, is uh, kathairo. Kathairo in the Greek text really means cleanse. Pruning is cleansing. The same word is used in 1 John 1.9 you might be familiar with. If we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to kathairo us from wickedness, to prune from us, to cleanse from us wickedness. God, our gardener, prunes us not to harm us, not to hurt us, but to bring us into a shape that reflects his, to maximize our fruitfulness for his glory. See, pruning's not about what God is taking from you. It's about what he's adding to you. It's not a punishment. 
It's a blessing to be pruned by God. Well, the second branch is the fruitful branch. Verse 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. We'll talk about fruitfulness in just a moment. But then the third branch here is the dead branch. Verse 6 says, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. How do you know that dead branches can be dangerous? You know, dead branches on your tree, they, uh, uh, they can harbor disease. Disease that spreads to other branches. Dead branches decay and it makes them a hazard for hurting people, right? You don't want a fallen branch on your house or your car or people in your life. Uh, a dead branch, is a pests find them a place to eat and to multiply. And, and so dead branches, they describe those people who were once connected to the vine and yet something has stopped them from getting that life-giving flow from Jesus, that life-giving, identity-giving, purpose-giving flow from Jesus. Something happened to them that blocked the sap of the Spirit, as it were. Whether it was bitterness or busyness, maybe it was apathy, maybe it was pain. Something blocked the flow of Jesus and slowly they stopped. They stopped producing fruits of faith, stopped stepping out and making decisions based on the Spirit's leading. They stopped obeying the voice of God. So they stopped living in reliance on Jesus and started to draw on other things to fulfill their lives. You know, it appears to happen suddenly, doesn't it? Like one day you see the branch, the next day it's dead, but really we see that this disconnect has been in the works in the background for quite a while. Jesus is preparing his disciples for one of the most tumultuous seasons that they will ever endure. This is one of these moments where things have appeared to go dormant. It's going to appear as though things are a disaster. And this is how Jesus encourages them. Remain. Remain in me. Remain in me. Remain in me. Will you hear, would you say that with, this morning? Would you say that with me? Say, remain in me. Remain in me, he says to them. Well, you know what I've found as I read through scriptures that every command of God is always followed by a promise from God. And as I read this text, I see here in verse seven, it says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want. It will be granted. And when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Fruitfulness is not a reward. Fruitfulness is not a gift. Fruitfulness in the kingdom of God isn't a reward. This is what it is. It's a byproduct. A byproduct of remaining. It's not that some Christians become fruitful and others don't. Every believer who stays connected to the vine will bear fruit. It's a byproduct, not a reward or a gift. How many know you can't earn a byproduct? You can't, like, you can't make it happen. You can't just be like, oh, I want to be fruitful so bad, I'm going to will it into existence. No. It says it's a byproduct. You will be fruitful. One of the byproducts is that our prayer life is affected. Because when we remain in God and we remain in Jesus, our perspective is shaped. Our perspective, we recognize God's authority over our lives. 
we recognize our identity and who God says we are. We realize that everything that is available to Christ Jesus is available to us. And when we know the will of God, we pray according to the will of God. And Jesus says our prayers are heard and answered. Our prayer life becomes fruitful. Also says a byproduct of remaining is that our love life is affected. How many want your love life to be affected by God? John 15 verse 9 says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commands, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in His love. This is my command, love each other in the same way I have loved you. Your love life is affected. Notice here that it doesn't simply say that Jesus says, I want you to love each other. Jesus says, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. And you're like, oh Jesus, why did you have to go and add that? I would have loved to love people the way I want to love them. <laughs> From a distance maybe, you know. <laughs> Jesus, I want you to love the way I have loved you. There's a way in which I've loved you. It's sacrificial. It's not self-seeking. It reflects the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life. When it comes to being connected to Jesus, the fruit is the proof. John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You know, as my kids were younger, they would get into squabbles and scraps sometimes. They would hurt each other, sometimes emotionally with their words, sometimes physically. But we used to have this thing and we would sit them down and they'd apologize and then we'd say, well, now I want you to hug. And when you do this at your house, and they would kind of give like a half-hearted kind of like side hug, kind of lean into each other or something, right? And we would say, hug until you mean it. Hug until you mean it. Jesus is saying, when you are in me, you will love until you mean it. You'll love until you mean it. You will love those around you. And you will show them who Jesus is. You will reflect to them the image and uh, purpose of Jesus for their life. And that brings us to verse 11, which I left out of the previous slide. Verse 11 says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. In this moment, Jesus, spending these last few moments before his arrest and death, and burial, spends with his disciples. And he says, I want you to know the source of my joy. And I want you to know that my joy can become your joy. And your joy isn't just the kind of joy that you're gonna be able to contain and it will just kind of get you over, tide you over. My joy is the kind of joy that overflows. How many know the overflow means that it's spilling out? How many know this morning when you spilled your coffee, it didn't spill conveniently. It got all over you. It got all over the people around you. When the joy of Jesus is overflowing in our life, it spills out. And it spills out in our workplaces. It spills out in our schools. It spills out in our dentist appointments. It spills out in our physio appointment. It spills out because the joy of Jesus is overflowing out of our lives. How many want to be that joyful presence in your community, in your family, in your neighborhood this week? Amen. Stay connected to Jesus and watch your joy.
overflow. Well, in just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. And the worship team is going to lead us for a moment. If you haven't got your communion yet, you can get one at one of the tables. If you're watching us online, take a moment to get it. And as we do, I just want you to spend a moment right now in reflection as the worship team leads us to prepare our hearts and minds to saying, Jesus, what's my source? What have, I, what have I been looking to to sustain me? Uh, what's my source of joy, of hope, of identity, and purpose? And then in a moment, we'll come back and we'll celebrate communion together. It's been so great having you in our service. We love what God's doing in our kids. You know, at the end of these services, we've been making a faith declaration, a, a declaration of who we are. Because when I know who Jesus is, I know who I am in Him. And so would you throw that up there? We got it up there. The I have statements. And this is why I want you to repeat after me. Because he is the vine, my strength is renewed. Because he is the vine, my identity is secure. Because he is the vine, my purpose is established. Because he is the vine, my life is fruitful. And because he is the vine, I am alive in him. Amen. Let's just worship God together this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise you, God. Lord, I pray that our joy and our life would be abundant and overflowing today. God, would you use us to overflow this relationship, this joy, this peace, this hope we found in you as we go from this place. Would you go with us, Jesus, our source, our supply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a great week. We'll see you next. We'll see you Friday. Good Friday. And then Easter Sunday.